This episode of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike is brought to you by Focusrite. Focusrite has been making world-class audio recording equipments for over 30 years, and in recent years, they've been bringing some of that famous Focusrite sound to more consumer-grade products like the Claret 8 Pre-USB, which is an 8-channel interface that'd be perfect for drummers looking to start their studio at home. Check it out, the Claret 8P USB from Focusrite, and now let's get to the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome into episode 137 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. We have so much to talk about this week. First of all, Mike and I got to get all caught up. We've both been using new in-ear monitors, and we have new in-ear monitors on the way, and we're kind of going down an in-ear monitor rabbit hole. Then we're going to talk some education. We're going to talk about the pros and cons of reading. Is reading actually a bad thing for you? Our featured artist this week is St. Vincent's Matt Johnson. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out some Zildjian K Sweet Series symbols. We'll get to a bunch of your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. Uh, hey, dude. <laughs> <laughs> hey, let's go right into it. That was our right. boy, Nick from Poughkeepsie. Yes. Mm-hmm. How about that beat? I think I'm actually going to fade it back in so we can listen to it some more. Beat and music. I will take it all day long. It's fantastic. And what do you say you used? A um, 22-inch maple kick, a six, 18 by 16-inch floor tom? That's stud. A maple snare with a t-shirt on it. 10-inch mm. heisty Swiss hats, which those things are super fun. Um, he's using the MXL overheads, which I know you were a, a big supporter of. Yeah. Yeah, man. Sounds great, Nick. You always just you just have to wait. If you can just wait long enough, they will go two for 99 on some <laughs> website at some point. And they, you know what? It, it depends. I mean, it, you can make it work. I, I, did, I did those for a long time, made it work. So how are you doing, pal? Not too bad. Doing pretty good. Yeah. I've got a, you know, I mean, it's weird. I've got this this span of this month. I've got. Well, I just did a clinic workshop last weekend. I've got another one this weekend, and I've got a big one coming nice. up in a couple of weeks. So, hasn't been much of a mental break because every second of downtime, I'm like, all right, what could I? What should I talk about? How should I explain this certain thing? But right. you know, it's been cool. Last week was cool. It was more of a. Um, I focused more on technique basics. I felt like I needed to do that for whatever reason. So we talked about a lot about just gotcha. how to how to actually hit the drums. That was at Sound Mind Studios in um, Strasbourg, PA, which is an amazing okay. studio. They just uh, they're in the middle of renovating it. It's going to be a spot where bands can go there and, and essentially live if you want to do like a week lockout. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, it's yeah. Right in the Poconos exactly Mountains, so there's tons of like hiking. You can really kind of get out and just escape beautiful place that's so cool great man. drummer that's awesome so that was cool and then this week i am in williamsport pennsylvania and i'm going to do something totally different and focus on creativity and improvisation so we'll see what happens oh boy <laughs> oh boy inching closer and closer to playing solos yeah well no the whole thing it. is going to be about soloing and getting rid of the stress and the anxiety and the fear and you know just that you'll be experiencing in the moment yeah, I'm planning on playing a piece that I haven't played since grad school. I wrote a drum solo dedicated to Max Roach, and I'm going to just play oh, that's it. that's awesome. I haven't practiced it. I haven't even thought about it. I'm going to just play it. That's <laughs> awesome, man. That'll be cool. <laughs> Pretty exciting. Well, I can't wait to get the report next week on that for sure. Yep. Be, what have you been up to? I feel like we haven't talked in like a long I know, time. man. It's actually been really kind of hectic. So it looked like things were... 
I don't know. I wouldn't say slowing down, but I just there were a lot of things where I wasn't chasing them as hard as I usually do. Usually I'm I'm really going after putting clinic tours together and all that stuff. And uh, honestly, with 10 drum camps here, one in Ireland, Mike'sLessons.com and everything, I just kind of thought, you know what, I just need to kind of chill this year and focus. And then I just don't know how to say no to really cool things. So uh, <laughs> in the last week, it looks like Gretsch uh, offered me like a uh, like a thirty day tour of Asia, what? which I just can't do. It's just too long. <laughs> and yeah, so I'm, I'm I'm talking to Jules over there, and she's like, "Can you do like thirty to forty five days?" And I was like, <laughs> "What, girl? I could maybe do like a week and a half at the most." Um, I'm like, "No, I can't." Um, <laughs> but it was it was rad. It's like uh, they're so they're going to be doing some tours. Uh, some clinic tours, Gretsch will be for their 135th anniversary. Mm. And so they reached out. And so I'm going to probably, there's a drum festival in China, a drum festival in Singapore. I'm going to try to do both of those. Hopefully, we're just trying to work out the schedule right now between, it looks like it's going to be one of my camps. Then I'll immediately fly to somewhere in Asia. I'll do two weeks there and fly from there to Ireland to do the camp with Keith, Mark, and Ash. Then fly home, and the day after I get home, I have another camp here. So it's going to be like Good five work. weeks without a single second off besides the flights. The flights will be my time to just decompress. So got that going on. Uh, UK Drum Show, I'm prepping like crazy for that to get all of my – When is that? That is, I believe – I'd have to look it up, but I think it's in November – Okay. Uh, oh, that's right. It's similar to Red Round Pasic times. I know there were some guys yeah. who couldn't go to Pasic because they were playing at that. Is it the London Drum Show? No. So the Something London different. Drum Show, there's definitely like some <clears throat> some drama there. I don't know what the drama is. I think the people that used to do the London Drum Show are now in charge of the UK Drum Show, um, which I'm really happy about because when I did the London Drum Show, it was probably the most well-oiled machine I've ever experienced. And That's those cool. are the people that I believe are doing the UK drum show. So I'm really excited about that. And Stanton Moore just got added to that. So that'll be cool. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, so I know it's myself, Richard Spaven, Benny Greb, Jojo Mayer, Stanton Moore, and a few others. Uh, and then there'll be like a Mike Dolbear stage and all that kind of stuff. So that'll be fun. And then I just, uh, it's in November as well, but we officially nailed down a, uh, a date in Poland where I'm doing a drum festival there. So I'll add some dates onto that and be around there in November. And then uh, for all the, for all the people somewhere in Europe, when I do the UK drum show, I'll probably add Scotland into that. I'll probably do music, not music maker. That's Ireland. Um, Oh man. I can't believe I can't remember the name of the shop. It's an awesome shop. And Dave majors there. And uh, anyways, I'll, I'll, I'll be in, I'll be in Scotland and then hopefully uh, uh, anywhere else. You guys can always just reach Amber at Mike'sLessons.com and we'll make it happen. So Man, got that stuff your, uh, coming up. Frequent flyer miles maxed out. I know, I know, it's crazy, um, but it'll be fun. This is all I've got. So much new material that I'm working on as a player and I'm starting to teach. That I'm. That's why I took all these things on because it was like, okay, I'm not rehashing old stuff. I'm not going to go up there and teach something that I taught at the London Drum Show three years ago. I have brand mm-hmm. new material that I really want to bring to the stage not just to a video camera so i'm super amped about that can't wait to start doing it that's great yeah for me it's like i'm, I'm working through all the stuff that i've that i'm super comfortable with because i haven't done a lot of clinics so i'm like all right let me go get through my whole all my curriculum of things that i just teach when i teach lessons and i'm 
I'm starting to get to the point now, like, okay, now, now what? Like I, I've got my right. three or four topics that I'm super comfortable with. Now I've got to say, okay, what's the next bit? So this weekend's yeah. going to be a test. Like, can I teach something that's kind of, you know, hard to, hard to pin down is like improvisation. Can I teach that yep. to a group of people who I had no idea what their experience level is going to be? I think it could be a range of young students and older professionals. So right. we'll see what happens. I think the hardest thing, you know, <clears throat> teaching improvisation is one thing. Teaching how to practice improvisation is yeah. that's the thing that you have to make sure as a clinician you're sending them home with Okay, when you get on the drum set, try this. Yeah. And this yeah. and and so finding those things is really important. By the way, the place in Scotland is called Drum Central and uh it's um owner's name is Graham it all just came back to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> and I have no clinic there. I'm just hoping that I do one there cuz I always have fun when I'm there. So um oh, yeah, man. that's that's I mean, I think you'll the more you do <clears throat> these clinics, the more you'll identify with stand-up comedians. You'll understand yeah, things right. about bits and not making it seem programmed and making sure that your bits have room for improvisation for you as an educator, that as you're educating and as you're kind of going, there's room to be like, you know what, this is actually one of the good times to go down this rabbit hole or, or go on this tangent. And you'll also learn how to manage time because you'll, you know that you'll learn yourself and you'll know, okay, if once we get to the Q and a part, Every question takes me a minimum of five minutes. So if I only do three questions, that's still 15 minutes of this clinic. So I have to plan for that because the one thing I can't do as a clinician is make that store owner stick around until 10 p.m. Yeah, like I, yeah. I, they I, I, I mean, try to keep it short. That's something I'm going to be really militant about is if you give me two hours, I'm giving you 90 and then we can hang mm-hmm. for a half hour because that's exactly I don't want to keep everybody yeah. there forever. And I, you and I are in a different position where we are seen as educators more than we're seen as players or, or in that rock star status of like, oh, my gosh, that's Virgil Donati. That's yeah, or Chad whoever. Smith here, yeah. So, yeah, Chad Smith, perfect example. So we don't really need to do a two-hour autograph session. Like no. when it's over, we can just have a little bit of a talk. And it's not yep. a big deal. I don't have to like go behind some weird partitioned glass wall where you slide your paper <laughs> under the hole and then I sign it and slide it back. It's like, we're cool. It's all good. So that's awesome, man. Well, let's talk about. <laughs> oh, no. Before we move in, I wanted to give because last week I kind of I actually kind of freaked Carter out. He called me. He's like, dude, are your in-ears OK? Because he, he listened to the show. I didn't tell him that I had that near train wreck. with okay. my Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So he called me. He's like, uh, "Did you get it all figured out?" I think he was That's more cool. like, "Did you ruin the show? Is all is everything all good?" <laughs> Do I have to find another sub? My gosh, can I count on anyone in this city? <laughs> uh, but I wanted to just because I know these were my pick of the week, probably six months ago, completely on just me using them in my studio. But okay. these suckers have proven to be some of the finest non-custom mold in ears that I've ever used. They are. Etymotic, E-T-Y-M-O-T-I-C, and the model is the ER4SR, and the SR means studio reference. I think they also have a version that's kind of more like hyped up with a lot of bass and stuff. Sure. I requested these because I wanted just a clean response, mainly for mixing, so I could mix on my laptop and stuff. But I used these, and it was the most comfortable in-ear experience. They actually sounded better than my custom molds. I could, really? I could hear so much detail. I could hear when the bass player 
like turned off his his mic, like the foot switch for his mic. I could sure, hear all the detail, and it was just it's made playing that show so much more relaxing. I'm not. Oh, that's awesome. Do you know how much they are normally? Um, I can look them up. Ranges? I think they're probably about four hundred bucks. But let me. Okay, so these are professional level, non-custom molds. Yeah, exactly. These are about as good as you can get without getting custom molds. Um, that's awesome. I'm going to look it up. So you don't you talk a little bit. <laughs> I will talk about my new in-ears, so we're going to review them later because you're getting a pair too, but I think they're called the Ultimate Ear 6D. Is that right? Yes, 6 Plus. Okay, 6 Plus. Yeah, that might be right. I think that's So it. I know they're new. I know they're coming out sometime this month, and so I just got mine, and <clears throat> they, they're incredible. They make playing the drums so much fun. They are kind of like what you talked about, the hyped-up version, and they're supposed to be. These are not meant to be honest, pure reference monitors. These are... I would call them like the Dre beats of in-ears. You put them mm-hmm. in and your drums instantly sound amazing. And, uh, you know, I'm scared to get addicted to them because I know it's like, there's no way my kick sounds that good. But <laughs> they are seriously fun to play with. So I, I don't want to go too deep into those until you get them. Yeah, so. we'll definitely talk more because they're sending me, by comparison, another set of their higher end ones. So I can, I'm going to hopefully, because you already have the 11s or what do you have? Yep, I have the yeah. UE 11s. I have the UE 4s and UE 11s. So that was, I had my 4s as my travel ones and then my UE 11s as the studio ones. Yeah. And now I have the 6 Plus and... Dude, they're they're incredible. I love nice. them. Well, and the affordable. Eta, eta, I can't. I have no idea what it is. E T Y M O T I C. Etamotic. It's got the Etymotic. line over the O. I guess that means it's an O sound. Etamotic E R four S R Studio Reference in ear earphones. They are three fifty. Oh, that's not bad. Not bad. And and like I said, they made they made it so easy. They don't have a ton of output, so I did have to crank the the mixer okay. a lot louder mm-hmm. than than with my custom Normal. molds. But once I got that dialed in, it was like, wow, I feel like I'm actually in a studio playing with an orchestra. It was just so clean. Awesome, uh, man. So awesome. super cool. And so, they're comfortable? They're, I mean, they're comfortable. I use the um, the earpiece that goes way down in there. So it's, you know, yeah. after a couple hours, you get a little, like, itchy. Sure. <laughs> you, know? But, you know what? Uh, and I, I can't wait for you to experience this, but on the UEs, the, the new ones, I don't know if this is across the board or just on this model, but it's a completely new cable. And that's what drives me nuts the most is the the thick braided cable is just kind of resting on the top of my ear. Yeah. And I just I can feel it and it, it just kind of wears me out. This new cable is like silk. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. It's really thin and it's very silky. So I can't wait for you to try those. So I think you and I are going down some in-ear rabbit hole. We've got a listener that reached out to yeah, us that has an in-ear company. Yeah, so we might have to do a little roundup of, of in-ear. Yeah, I would love that. You. That would be awesome. All right, let's get into Russ Miller's article talking about should you read music and is reading music can actually be bad for you, which I think is an awesome concept to debate because I've definitely been through this where some of my favorite drummers can't read a single note and it sure as hell hasn't held them back at all. Yeah, And I've definitely seen some of my favorite drummers that I would describe as the most creative individuals on the planet be extremely great sight readers. Yep. Um, yep. Carter and Mark come to mind right away just because they both read charts and yep. they're pretty artistic. <clears throat> yeah. I, I wouldn't say that. it's held back their creativity. <laughs> yeah, I think that so argument is probably right. the biggest sack of BS is that it'll it'll limit your creativity or it'll hinder your originality. I think there I think the problem is in the question itself or in the statement because when we think about reading I think a lot of times people visualize somebody glued to a chart 
and saying yeah. never leave the chart. Play and, everything that's on the page. And I, yeah. and I think the problem is a lot of that comes from people that have never read a chart and never learned how to read. So they don't know how much freedom you actually have in a chart and how the yeah. chart is your guideline. For me, I've never even seen, in, at least in Jasmine, I've never seen a drum chart. I mean, they call them drum charts, but there's no drum parts on there. Those are just stab charts. Yeah, you know, right. They're yeah. roadmaps. Um, but at no point is it like I've never seen a flamadiddle on a on a jazz chart. You know what I mean? I've never, I've never seen somebody like write out the sticking and the toms and the orchestration. It's always been like, here's your standard jazz beat for measure one. Here's 900 bars of repeat. Yeah. Uh, and then a really hip term like medium bounce over the top of that. <laughs> right. Latin. So it's like, OK, yeah, Latin. <laughs> That's the best. Latin. Um, so, yeah. Um, or Latin funk. And it's like, uh, okay. Yeah. So anyway, so I think that that's where we get that thing of like, well, if you stare at a chart, you're not creative. And it's like, I guess. Um, but it's yeah. not it's not orchestral, you know. I mean, orchestral music's a little different. You actually read the chart and you play the notes that are there. Um, Ooh, yeah, but I mean, you'll never get those gigs either if you can't read. So, I mean. I agree. I, there's no I mean, way I could have memorized the entire book for Lion King and come in and play it once every two weeks or so and remember oh every note of that show. Could It'd be imagine? impossible. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm reading every measure. My eyes are glued to it the whole time. The music is becoming subconscious, but I'm, there's no way I could close the book, nor would I want to. Like, I think having that ability for me gets rid of you know i don't have to use up that mental space to be like okay what's the next section it's right there on the chart i can see it it's there not to mention once you've read it on the chart now (laughs) when you're not looking at the chart you have visual memory where you're seeing the phrases and you're seeing the the notation in your head even when you're not looking at it because you have seen it so there's that part of it but i also think that when we talk about reading we forget that reading leads to writing. And that's Russ's biggest point yeah. in the article is the reason he loves to read is so that he can write. He can write notes and not notation notes like Rem- notes the way we would write them in English. He writes them in the form of notation. <clears throat> yeah, it's like ideas. I've got, yeah, I just uh, – I've got one right here that says literally um, – you can hear the paper. It says <laughs> linear ideas and I'm in the middle of filming some linear courses and – now I have this little notebook that I take around with me, and anytime I'm just kind of tapping something out, I'm like, oh, that would be a fantastic linear groove. Let me write it down real quick because I know I'll forget it in the next 20 minutes. And then when I get to the kit, I just open this book that says linear ideas, and I sit down and I go, okay, that one is actually quite valid. Let's Now let's take that into the software program and lock it in and make it a definite thing and film it. But I, I can't imagine not being able to do that. I mean, what do you do when – you have a cool idea, but you have no, you, you can't write. Yeah. I mean, what do, you, do you just sing in your phone? Like, boom. I won't call out this drummer's name, but I, I definitely saw the notes that a very well-known and amazing drummer. So again, the reading hasn't kept him from being very successful, but I saw how he had charted some very complex mm. music for a band that he was playing with. And it was like, there's no, like, I'm glad you know what that means because that's not, right. that's not what's happening. Those are hieroglyphics. Because <laughs> yeah. that's not what's happening. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to tell you this, bro, but uh, that's not what's happening. <laughs> but it that. didn't matter. I mean, he, he knew what it meant. He had, but he had to write, he had to come Absolutely. up with his own language, which seems, I mean, it seems ass backwards. We already have a language of drumming that right. we can write it out. So why not just learn how to do that rather than having to create your own symbolism for what does right. that five note pattern look like? 
You know, when we were getting ready for this episode, I was just trying to think, playing devil's advocate, I mean, it's unfair. We have two drummers that grew up in school music programs and we learned to read, you know, but before we were 10 years old. Yeah. So obviously I'm in favor of it. But I was trying to think, obviously, I don't think that not being able to read holds someone back as long as they're passionate because they can do whatever they want. But I was trying to think, are there any negatives to to reading? Is there any time that it's like, oh, man, you're so stuck in your box because of your ability to read? Mm. And I just I don't know. I, I can't think of. I don't think it'd be I the would, reading that would be what sticks you in your no. box. It's your own limits, your own mental you know, inability to think Right. Creative. And I think I think if you only read, then that would be as much of a limitation, meaning you only lived in a book. You don't listen to records. You don't train your ear. You don't go out and see shows. You don't play with other musicians. Of course, you're going to sound like a PDF. I mean, that's yeah. like the biggest thing that I encourage everyone on my YouTube channel and on Mike'sLessons.com to do is I'm like, whatever I showed you, that is the blueprint. Now go build something with it. Please right. don't do what I showed you because it's that's so stale. I showed it to you so that you can build on it. But if you don't put it to music and you don't – if you always stare at a page, I agree. You're going to sound stale because you would be you know, reading. That would not be fun. But, but you're not going to get hired if, if you play that way anyway. So Exactly. It's not – I mean, yeah. I it's think. not the reading that would slow you down. It's um, So, yeah, I, agree. I don't know what we're like getting fired up. <laughs> well, we know there's – the other side of it, which I've been experiencing more recently, is teaching – very good drummers who are adults who've maybe never taken a lesson before or something and there's no way for me to convey the ideas it's like we have to go back to the beginning and you have to learn how to read because i can't tell you how to do this thing until you can read it <laughs> well, as an how example. can you how could you expect them what if you could tell them what to do and they got it in the lesson how could you expect them to remember it two days from now yeah if you can't give it to them on the page and make sure that they're um, really understanding where the pulse is there's all these these things that you kind of need to put it down on paper and see the math of how does it line up so that's been very recent my beginning students i i kind of don't worry about it because we're just learning how to hit the drums like that's right you know in general i don't force it but now i'm starting to receive with more adults especially if they can really play but they don't know what they're doing it's just like how can i help you push what you already know how to do somewhere else if we have to then break down what you already know how to do without having notation as our as our common language so that's Right. That's been interesting. Not, I mean, it's frustrating for them. For right. Sure. And as a drummer, you have to think, okay, well, what is the likelihood that your piano player or your keyboard guy can read? Probably pretty high. So now you have a shared language with him. At least, even if you don't know melody, at least you have a shared rhythmic language. So yeah. you can speak the language and you could jot down a rhythm and say, this is what I'm going to be playing um, on my kick. And here it is. And you can write it down and just give it to them. And they can read the rhythm and the bass player can read. And it's it just makes sense. The other thing that I love about reading is there might be information that you can't get by ear, but you know it it it, it exists in a book somewhere. And it would suck to see that book that in, contains all that information that you want. Let's say you want to learn every Blink-182 song. And there's the chart book for Blink-182. Right. It's all in that book, but you can't read. And so it's like, <laughs> oh, but it's right there. You would know exactly what he's playing on the hi-hat. You would know Travis's bass drum pattern if you just read it. Our number one selling book when I was working at Skip's Musing and working at Drum Guitar City was the Rush songbook. Everyone came in and bought like the oh, new yeah. part, pure right. parts. And 
you know, and it's like, okay, I'm assuming you can read. And they're like, nah, but I can figure it out. It's like tab, right? And I'm like, well, it's not anything like that because it's notation. But yeah, I need some commission, so go for it. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, that kind of leads get in, DVD. into the other side of it is, like, there's so many discoveries I've made by just putting a pencil on paper and seeing, you know, doing the riddle. Like, okay, yes, if I'm going to play seven notes, but I'm in three, four, how does mm-hmm. it resolve? I can't yeah. necessarily do that. I mean, I'm not that good with mental math to just kind of figure it out. But if I see it on right. paper, I can just write all the notes out and, and put the pulse in, like, ah, and then... That allows me to internalize how it sounds because I can see it. I know the down. I know right. the quarter note lands on this part of the grouping on in this measure and on this part of the grouping on yeah. the next measure. If I was Same just thing. winging it by ear, I probably would never really figure it out. It would always be kind of faked mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, I totally agree with that, and I, th- I think that it's a great thing. And the other thing that I really like about drumming is our notation is not that difficult. Yeah, it, there's yeah. not a lot of it. I mean, you can really. You could get through all of future sounds if you can read quarters, eighths, and sixteenths. Yeah, and that's the bulk of it. I mean, sixteenth note, triplet, thirty-second notes. I mean, you just I don't see a lot of that because I always write it out as just half time, sixteenths, and just thinking double time most of the okay. time. Okay, just it's but easier yeah, I mean, for me not to unless look you're at mixing that. subdivisions. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think that you don't need much. And <laughs> drummers, we know that y'all don't rest. <laughs> so you don't even have to worry about those <laughs> filling in all the notes. So, but no, I mean, really, every note has an equivalent rest, and they're just shapes. So you learn, yeah. okay, that's a quarter note rest, that's an eighth note, and then I would say the only thing that probably gives my students a little bit of a headache when it comes to reading is teaching them about dotted notes. I was going to say the exact same thing. That yeah. is the thing. That one's like, always tough. It makes no sense. You just have to go with me and trust that it's yeah. right. <laughs> I have like nine different explanations for it, and every one of them causes the student to just stare into the wilderness. It's, and I, I go, know, oh, it's, right. so, it's so silly because mainly for me, because the drum, no matter how you hit the drum, it's a short sound. So how can it possibly be different if it's a dotted mm-hmm. eighth and a sixteenth? Why not just make it a sixteenth and two sixteenth note rest and a sixteenth? Right. Like that's the hard thing I, I have explaining that there is duration but we just don't play duration. (laughs) Right. It just doesn't exist. But at the same time, when I see a dotted eighth in a chart somewhere, that's telling me I'm probably going to crash that. I need to hang that. I'm not going to give it a hi-hat stab of, you know, right. I'm going to let that hang with, because they're telling me someone else is doing that. That's taking up the space of three sixteenth. It's also Um, become a word. Dotted eight sixteenth for me is a word rather than sixteenth and two mm -hmm. sixteenth note rest and a sixteenth note. That's sixteenth. Right. Right. I've got to figure that out where if I see a dotted eight sixteenth, I know that word immediately. I don't really think about it. That's funny. And I know that shape. I know what that shape looks like. Uh, I've seen it, you know, on the bottom line for Samba. It's so, yeah, I'm with you. I think reading is, is definitely something that could help everybody. And, even pro level players can go to their local music store and say, Hey, I'd like to sign up for drum lessons. Honestly, I just want to learn how to read. And the good thing is probably any of the teachers could do it, but definitely the drum teacher. I've definitely taught quite a few people that did not want drum lessons. They just wanted to learn how to read. Mm. And I said, okay, well, and you know, two, three months, you kind of got the basics down. It's not that deep. You can go deep with it if you want. And like, you know, if you want to get into like actually 
doing charts or you want to play in your local theater, you're going to need a little more than a couple months. But to get the basics of drum notation down, it's really not that hard. So it just takes the desire. I did. I mean, uh, Russ's last point in his article might be the one thing that I think is a potential pitfall of being a strong reader. And he says reading can be a distraction. And that I've definitely... Mm -hmm. Like if I sub on a on a cover band gig with three days notice and I chart every song out, there's no way I'm going to be fully engaged on stage. I'm going to be reading right. those freaking charts. So I'm going to sound a little bit cold, a little bit yeah. uninvolved. Well, and that's why we celebrate people like Russ Miller and Vinnie Caliuta, who we see videos of them actually reading charts in the studio and they sound like them. Yeah. That's, and it's like, wait, yeah. how are you doing that? Yeah, that yeah, that's the challenge for me. And I think it, 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 the more I more I read charts, the more I can kind of, you know, I can look ahead and I can say, okay, it's an eight bar phrase. I don't need to count it. Like that kind of stuff right. frees me up. But if it's if I'm playing a song I've never played before, I mean, I'm I'm like holding holding the reins. Let's just you know, let's not yeah. fall off this train. So that for sure could be the one thing I think if if you're if you can't play a gig without charts, that's a problem. I think. That well, and that's what we. I think that was almost our first point was that it, it can be a crutch where I've I've had definitely had campers at the end of the night jam where we're literally jamming songs for fun. Someone will say, "Okay, can you pull up this song by ACDC? and then they'll take a chart up on stage. I'm like, "Are you kidding me? This is for fun. <laughs> yeah. Put that chart in my bass drum. Like, don't <laughs> close your eyes and swing for the fences, kid. Let's go." So, so yeah. So I it, it shouldn't be a crutch where. Every time you hear something, I think you should be well balanced. Your yeah. ear should be at the level of your reading, and your reading should be at the level of your improvisation, and all of it should be balanced. So, all right, well, let's talk about somebody that's massively balanced. I watched a ton of videos on him today, and we're speaking of Matt Johnson, drummer for St. Vincent. St. Vincent is a special artist to me. Not only is she one of my favorite artists, and in my mind, she has picked up the torch of so many amazingly creative artists and just run with it. But she is, uh, JP Bouvet introduced me to St. Vincent as an artist on our very first clinic tour together. So like five or six years ago. Oh, wow. And it became like a shared artist between us of like, oh, did you see this? Did you, and you know, for years. And, uh, I was such a huge fan, you and I both of everything that Matt Chamberlain did with creative female artists Mm -hmm. like Fiona Apple and Tori Amos. And I feel like St. Vincent is that, but right now. And she's pushing the envelope, and it's it's amazing. And Matt's playing with her is just incredible. I mean, he talks about in the article balancing between all the stuff he got to do with Jeff Buckley, but now all this electronic stuff and trying to make it all fit. Yeah, I mean, he's he he had to reinvent himself. I um, he's not on the record, which makes it a more challenging experience for him to recreate it live. So he has to take mm-hmm. this produced kind of loop based music. And then how am I going to do that live and have it not sound like a jam band over top of electronic music? Mm-hmm. So a couple of years ago, he, he decided, okay, I'm going to do most of the stuff left-handed because it's easier for me to hit the pads and stuff. So he's playing oh. open-handed for most of the gig <clears throat> and his setup is real kind of sparse. He only has the gear that he needs to play the songs. There's not a ton of stuff. But it's ever-changing. I saw them on the last tour at a ACL Festival down in Austin. And it was <clears throat> it was kind of unbelievable to hear them recreate that those sounds on stage. And he's playing as much of it as he possibly can from the drum set. That's all, yeah, I mean, he's amazing. got like six different triggering pads yeah, around exactly. his kit. But it looks like a really tight, see. compact kit, even though there's all these Oh, yeah, it's a four-piece kit, one cymbal, 
yeah. set of hi hats. Yeah. It's good he's to go. A, he's got a I don't know if that's a yeah, it's a tom on off to the left of the hi hat, but it's actually got a mesh head on it, so that's like a that's a strict trigger pad that looks like a oh, drum. Yeah, so there's seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, and the oh, pad assignments awesome. change for every song, so he's gotta memorize like what you know, where is the hand clap or where is the this or that for every song. Which is a totally different thing from what I loved about his playing with Jeff Buckley, where it was just a dude playing beautiful Super songwriter music with power yeah. and sensitivity and some swing. Totally yeah. different. I mean, well, that's a, a cool thing is that he's able to push the electronic thing now, but bringing the Keltner sense of groove to it. And yeah, he can right. do both. Um, and have you seen that thing that he did for uh, for the Rupert Neve channel on YouTube? Nope. Uh, he's just so he's got four four mics going into uh, some preamps that allow you to blend your preamps. And then it just takes two tracks out. So he's got. Two close mics and two big room mics, and then out of the pre's, he gets uh, kind of like a, a distant channel and a close channel. Okay. Anyways, the playing on it's fantastic, and his ability to speak to the camera is fantastic, and I really just dug his feel. Uh, you know, I think Matt was involved with Carter McLean in the beginning in four hands drumming. Yeah, that's and true. Yep. Watching him play, you can just see like how they would have clicked as friends and as players because he's just got that just amazing technique, uh, but with that organic sense of groove to it. You yeah, know? and respect for reminds the song. me a little bit of Jason McGrew yeah, as well. Exactly. Yeah, got that, that vibe. World. But yeah, I mean he, he's fantastic. And if you want to see him play live with Saint Vincent on YouTube or whatever, one of my favorite things. Um, it's just called Saint Vincent uh, 4AD session. Um, unfortunately, it could use your help. It's stuck at 1.7 million views right now, so <laughs> could really use some help. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the 4AD session stuff. Just honestly, just subscribe to their channel 4AD. That's this. Um, that's the a record channel. label. I think that's a record label. Oh, is it? I think. Well, so. the the content on there is fantastic. So <clears throat> check that stuff out. Um, but yeah, that session is very well produced and has Matt doing the thing where you're like, is that real? Is that a is that a real drum? Is that a triggered surface? What's going on here? Yeah, uh, pretty amazing. But yeah, I mean, his career has been absolutely awesome. I mean, he's gotten to do some really amazing things in the world of music. Well, yeah, I mean, just having Jeff Buckley's Grace alone, I mean, that's a You're done. That's a top yeah. 10 of all-time record for me. I mm-hmm. mean, it's one of the greatest. Not only is Jeff Buckley so amazing and one of a kind, but you, there's, there weren't many guys playing drums like that. I mean, if you think about, like, this was, for me, this really became the record that me and my friends listened to every day right after college. So we kind of were becoming adults and we wanted to still play rock but we wanted to get more interested in the musical side of things so we right. listened to radiohead the bends and jeff buckley grace every freaking day and nice. 
Most of my friends like the Bends more because of the you know Radiohead a little bit more creative and artsy. I loved yeah. Grace more because the drumming was just legit. I mean, he was going. I mean, there's some left foot independent stuff going on in there. There's all kinds of tribal stuff, some Indian influence. I mean, the Radiohead. You know, I love them. The drumming was never my favorite part. It was always like, okay, the drumming's perfect right. for the songs, but I want to sound like matt johnson on grace like that's for me the archetype of songwriter drumming with some power but a lot of sensitivity and you know a lot of like subtlety i think that's a top 10 record that on your resume like okay you're mm-hmm. good to go man now he's playing with again one of the most revered artists of our time yeah it's pretty amazing and it's it's awesome and and especially if even though you said he's not on the album everyone definitely check out her newest album it's called uh i think it would just be pronounced mass seduction um but check it out because the songs on there are fantastic and she's as creative as you could imagine an artist being while still having hooks and it's still it's still fun to listen to yeah, it's not like true. she's trying to beat you over the head with how artistic she can be i i don't think she can help it she just is that way <laughs> yeah. but there's still it's like it's fun music to listen to and the the drum parts are are awesome and so I was definitely worried seeing someone recreate them because there's a lot of bands in my past where I'm like, I don't ever want to see them live because I know it's not going to work. I remember not wanting to see Portishead because oh, I was yeah. like, oh, just don't wreck it for me. But they killed it. <laughs> yeah, they killed uh, it. Cinematic Orchestra, same thing. And uh, even now, Richard Spaven, I'm like, there's no way you could do that for real. And then he does. <laughs> and then this 4AD concert, like I was saying, um, or just kind of showcase – yeah, Matt's on top of it. It sounds like the music that I love, and I'm a huge fan of St. Vincent. So it's like, oh, please don't, don't be. This is okay. So there's certain things like Jill Scott's a great example of something where I do want the live concert to be different than the album. Yeah, I want it to right. be more energetic, and I want it to be all real players. But with with St. Vincent, it's like I don't. I really actually want it to be kind of the album. Yeah. I really like the album. I like the tones. I like the textures, and he crushes it, man. Yeah. Absolutely, it's impressive it. for them to be the replicate because yeah, it's it's her music is really airtight. I mean, there's not a lot of room for them to just jam out. She's very choreographed with everything, and the so- the sonics are just as important as the the rhythms. And yeah, you can tell he spent a lot of time, you know, figuring out every single song and what's the minimal amount of gear that I need, but I don't want to short shrift anything in the arrangement. I mean, it's pretty darn impressive. And he's on the cover of Modern Drummer. That's pretty <laughs> That's rad. Right. Long time That's coming. Rad. Long time coming. Long overdue. He's Very one of cool. My awesome. Well, everybody, definitely check out Matt Johnson. You can see him out on the road with St. Vincent. But you can also, if you just type in Matt Johnson drums to YouTube, you'll find a ton of content because he's had such a huge career. So, of course, you'll find the St. Vincent stuff, but you're going to find a lot of other stuff from Jeff Buckley to Rufus Rain- Wainwright to everything else he's ever done. So it's pretty cool stuff. Dig it. All right, this is the point of the show. We have to thank our sponsors. So Focusrite is sponsoring the show, and they they quickly sent me their new Claret uh, 8P USB 
for us to check out. So I want to just we're going to do a full review on it once I get a little bit more time to actually record some drums and drop in some audio. But it's a USB version of the uh, interface that I reviewed a few months back that was just a Thunderbolt um, interface. So it is perfect for drum situations. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that it's going to be just as great as the Thunderbolt. We'll find out in a couple of weeks. But it has eight mic pre's. Um, it is USB, so you can use it with any type of computer. Um, it's only $800. It's got uh, 10 outputs, which is awesome. So you can have your you know your main monitor out, but you can also send separate mixes to different headphones and all that. It's got two headphone jacks on the front. It's got two mic inputs on the front, and the other six are on the back. Are you looking at it right now? I am. I'm looking at it right now. It's in my office. <laughs> and it also includes, uh, which which is really great their red uh, eq and their red compressor which are like legendary hardware pieces that just they're easy to use and they sound great um, and there's like something else that came with it i got a free um, grand piano um, virtual instrument from um, xln okay so that's a cool little plus you get a free uh, really awesome sounding piano synth <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, this thing has awesome reviews already all over all the different sites. And yeah, you can find it for six ninety nine on pretty much any um, online retailer. It's really, really cool. Yeah, so they they have a two pre version that's four hundred list, a four pre version that's six hundred. But then the eight the eight pre is essentially what we would use for drums, and that's eight hundred bucks. And it can also it's got ADAT in and out, so if you have like an external digital mic pre, you can very easily hook it up with that. It'd be a good centerpiece for a home studio at that at that price. That's really hard to beat. So, thanks to Focusrite for sponsoring the show. We will definitely come back to that in a later episode. But right now, we've got to talk about the new Zildjian K Suites. Oh boy! <laughs> so I reviewed. Are they these. sweet, Mister Dawson? Are, are they? You know what? How, what if someone said these symbols sound sweet? What what adjectives would you use? Okay, so sweet to me is definitely not a sonic adjective. Okay. Like it just it, there, I find no sonic or I find no words that would relate to it that would tell me how it sounds. So, you know, Zildjian's been using that word in their rides and stuff for mm-hmm. a very long time. So we know so I think really when somebody says sweet ride, that itself is now a sound because I know what a Zildjian sweet ride is from the past. Yeah, um, right. But I, I will say this, you know, we'll let you guys hear them in just a second. These are some clean, clean symbols that because of their thinness, they explode, but they don't sound trashy. You would think being this thin and this hammered, they'd be trashy, but they're not. They're no. really very clean sounding. And but because of their thinness, they get out of the way quick. So they explode. They seem to be fairly fast. Yep. But I, I will say this. Man, when you start rocking those double strokes on the hi-hat, those are some good-sounding hi-hats. Yeah, the hi-hats, I mean, everything sounded really great to me. The hi-hats were like, okay, these are Desert Island. <laughs> I mean, they're only available yes. in 15 and 16s. They don't have 14s um, for you know whatever reason. I guess that's just the trend. They might add them later. But, right. So, I mean, they're big hats, and they're they're not super thin, but the 15s were like, okay, that's my – if I'm my all-purpose studio hi hat for anything that has a backbeat, those those can yeah. do it. Um, I agree. I kind of felt like I didn't write this in the review, but I kind of felt like these would be if they had gone through the factory and picked like the best K crash out of the whole factory. That's what this mm. would be. Like they went through it like hand picked. Like they did little modifications. It seemed like they're 
a little tiny bit thinner than the regular K-Darks, but like you said, there's really no ounce of trashiness. It's real smooth. Yeah, and I mean this as a compliment, but they, they're they not oversaturated with character where all of a sudden you're pinpointed into a genre. Yeah, no. They yeah. actually are just like – like if I was Sacramento – studio drummer guy or sacramento gigging drummer guy this is a great setup to to know like okay no one's ever going to complain about my symbols right you know i might be able to fine-tune them a little bit more for this genre or this genre but no one's going to complain about my symbols because they sound like symbols yeah and they sound like um, good symbols yeah zero crazy overtones you want to give them a listen yeah let's drop it in Mm mm-hmm you'll hear in the first two crashes if you watch the video you can see which ones i'm hitting but the 16 and the 17 were pretty darn close so that was my 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 one not a criticism but word of caution make sure you get enough if you're going to get two of these get a get the 16 and at least the 18 uh or get the 17 and the 20 because they were they were just a little bit too close like it didn't give me enough difference unless that's your thing you want like a similar crash but just slightly lower pitch but I liked going with the 17 and the 20. That was kind of like the best contrast mm-hmm. for me. You know, one thing that I really dig about the the ride is sometimes their rides can be a little bit, for what I like, there's too much definition. Or a sweet ride can just have a little too much definition. This has a little wash underneath it. Yeah. So it's got this butteriness to it that just sounds like it'd be one of those symbols, once again, that other – artists and other musicians would be very happy with because it seems like it would fit into the mix rather than standing on top of it yeah totally i mean i I mentioned this weeks ago but i took these to a session blindly and had never played them before they were still in the box nice a boy (laughs) i was like you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna test them see how you know they can live up to what they claim to be and they were beautiful i mean they just recorded perfectly uh the for what it, it was a mid-tempo song, a little bit more of a down uh, emotion, the 16 and the 17 crash were just way too explosive. Like that was okay. like, okay, immediately like, nope, those got to come down. But I right. think I used the 18 and the 20 and the 20, 21-inch ride nice. and the 15s, and it was just perfect. I mean, they were they were the best, you know, like just all-purpose studio symbols that I've I'd, I'd used in a while. It was like, okay, there's, where the symbols are done. I don't need to worry about that. <laughs> They're good. Right. They just yeah, that's. Good. I mean, that's how I feel. Is like this would, this would be a great set for anyone. And the, the cool thing is, like honestly, unless you're endorsed, you don't need to buy a set. Maybe just fall in love with these hi-hats and yeah, you put exactly. it with you know, your ride from a different company or whatever. But 
But these just sound like, okay, cool. I don't have to worry about symbols anymore. I've got that. Yeah. So um, very, very cool. So right now, six or 15 and 16-inch hats, crashes 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. Yep. And then uh, 21 rides and 21 and 23. Yep. The 23 How was, was the 23? The 23 was actually my preferred kind of all-purpose size. The 21 was a little really? crashy. It was great when okay. I was playing the lighter song. It got a little crashy. The 21 was just kind of like, all right, there's there's your ride symbol. <laughs> like it's, you mean the 23? I mean the 23 was just like, right, yeah, 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 that's that's the ride. Uh, the crashes you, so. do have raw bells. The hi-hats have raw bells too. I think that's mm-hmm. a new thing for Zildjian or something they haven't done in a while. Um, that that yeah, adds I something. It. I think it added uh, – it could be completely off base, but I think it added a certain pitchiness to them. Um, so it wasn't like a completely harmonic sound. It was a little bit of a focused pitch, which was something that I don't hear in, in every Zildjian crash. Like It kind of had more of that, like, here's the sound. Every time you hit mm-hmm. it, there's the sound, which, again, was great for recording. Yeah. Really cool. I, th- I think it sounds – I thought they sounded fantastic. Awesome. All right, let's get to some listener questions. All right, so we're going to do a couple emails and a couple audio questions. What do you want to start with? Let's go audio. All right. So our first one will be from, how about Garrett? Hello, Mike and Mike. First off, just want to thank you for the podcast. It is the highlight of my week by far. Um, I started in on kind of my drum journey a couple of years ago uh, after playing for 20 some odd years of really dedicating, dedicating myself to it and putting a lot of time in. Um, and your podcast keeps me going just to know that you guys uh, struggle with things too even at the level you're at so that being said my question is about uh, plateaus and what we can do to overcome them Um, right now it's been about three or four months and I cannot seem to kind of get over certain BPMs uh, as it pertains to some of the Mike's lessons things, like the left-hand lead accents, uh, notes, I'm, I'm kind of stuck at 120 for a long time. Uh, I also work a lot out of stick control, and uh, while I'm progressing through the pages uh, at a slower tempo, the when I try to kind of run through the pages combined at, at higher tempos, um, I really can't seem to get past a certain beat per minute. So... That being said, uh, what do you guys do when you hit these plateaus? Um, any tips or tricks? You know, do you abandon it for a while and come back later? Uh, kind of keep pushing until there's a breakthrough. Um, so I would really like your feedback on this topic. Thank you. Keep up the good work, guys. Great question. I think we all go through that for sure. Uh, first of all, I think we, we have to realize what is this speed plateau getting you closer to and and how fast do you need to be? I think that the speed that you are trying to get, whether it be something that I've set on mikeslessons.com or not, I think it has to be relative to your personal goals. And I know that I could, you and I both, Mike, could be a lot faster on the drums if it pertained to the style of music and the style of drumming that we liked. But speed hasn't been an issue or or a focus for either of us for a, a while just because we have the speed to play what we want to play. Now I wish I played it with better touch or better feel or better timing. So yeah. um, I, th- I think it comes down to that. The other thing is, and this is where I'd like you to chime in, 
I think working on anything on the drums benefits your speed on the other things that you were working on. So sometimes you just have to take a break from left hand lead 16th notes and just get better at drum set and drumming in general. And then when you come back to it in a couple months, you've just gotten faster. You've gotten better in general. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, I think the plateau for me, like with my single circle, which I'm still working on more diligently now than I ever have. Uh, when I hit those plateaus, I usually have to look at physically what what am I doing? What is happening? What could right. I possibly be doing that's kind of keeping me from pushing those extra two or three BPM? Mm. And that's like minute things, like just relaxing my pinky a little bit more or using more yeah. of the trigger. I mean, assessing little tiny technical things. But I think more importantly for me, like for instance, single stroke roll between the right hand and the right foot. When okay. I was 20 years old, that was really important to me because I was playing a lot of music that needed kind of really fast kind of stuff like that. Right. I haven't done that in 20 years, uh, and it's gone. So I think having mm-hmm. an application for everything is also going to be really – If you're, if, I think if you're just working on stuff in a technical vacuum and having no application for it, I don't think your your body or your mind gets a chance to figure out, you know, why, what, what am I doing this for? Yeah. And once you apply it to something, then I think it becomes more permanent and then you can kind of push it a little bit further. Right. Uh, so that, and sometimes you have to get off the pad, you know, I mean, if, if Garrett, if you're working on single strokes, left hand lead, find a groove that's, you know, find an uptempo disco groove. That's a two handed 16th note groove. Just play it left hand lead and just, Get on the drum set and you don't have to play fills. You don't have to play any crazy bass drum patterns, but just try to do that and try to involve different surfaces. Maybe bring the BPM down by 10 from what your max is, but do it on a pillow. Try that and try just change it up. up. Shock your muscles. Yeah. You know, great question. All right. Next one. This is an email one from Christian. It's kind of similar. I was hoping you could give some insight into your warm-up rituals and routines. Do you start your practice sessions the same way every time, or do you change your warm-up depending on what you're working on? Uh, To go along with that same idea, how do you prepare both mentally and physically? Some days I find it difficult to get myself settled and into a flow. You want me to go first? <laughs> sure. Yeah, that was that. my dramatic pause was, hey, I took the last one. Why don't you take a chip at it? Stud. <laughs> Okay, so I am, if you know me as, if anyone knows me on a personal level, I am a dichotomy of of contradictions. I hate routine, but I'm very routine-oriented in certain ways, too. <laughs> I hate schedules, but I like to have everything planned out. So right. I, I would say no, I don't, but actually I do. I have the exact same warm-up that I do every single day before every single gig, before everything, that it's, it's my way, and it's, it's almost superstitious in a way the way I think – if I can get through that and I don't sound like crap, then at least I know I'm starting where I started yesterday. Okay. If I have a if I have a really bad warm up where I can't concentrate or something, then I'm like, oh god, the gig's going to be a mess. So <laughs> I guess it kind of harkens back to my baseball days of like you got to do your warm up routine and your stretches and you got to wear right. the same socks and all that kind that of you thing. You wore when you won. Yep. So I do have a very specific warm up routine that involves mental and physical practice where I'm challenging myself to concentrate on a click track that's not on the downbeat while also playing very challenging technical exercises a lot of rolls and accent taps and that kind of stuff and you're doing this say backstage before you go on on stage Uh, yeah or at some point during the day it's important for me at least get it done at some point during the day um 
if it, if I can do it right before I play, that's ideal because then I think it carries over the hangover of my mental focus kind of stays. Right. Um, so I do that every single day, um, and I don't feel a need to change it up because I know that that works. So I'm getting sure. to the point where I think my warm up is starting to be a little um, mentally. I can get mentally lazy, so I've got to change it up again. I'm currently right. focusing on using the metronome on the middle triplet note and playing a bunch of accent patterns over top of it. That killed me for about four months. Now it's becoming second nature. Something I need to do something different. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, so that kind of that's both physical and mental preparation, and I do it the exact same. I, I know mentally if I'm not ready to play, if I can't play those exercises with the click on the middle note, like that's the challenge. Right. If I if I keep dropping the beat, then I'm like I'm not ready yet. Keep doing it. Just keep keep doing it. Yeah. I think I think warm ups come down to finding something that works for you. And, and saying, okay, that was a killer show. What did I do before this one? And sometimes some people would realize, oh, I didn't do anything. Okay, well, then maybe that's what was getting in your way was you were getting yourself so drum amped that you couldn't actually play the instrument. Mm. Some people really need to loosen up because maybe they're in a heavier rock gig where they're physically, you know, the gig is super physically demanding. Well, when I was touring, my warm up was very little practice pad work and tons of physical stuff like doing wind sprints, getting my yeah, right. cardio up, doing jumping jacks, doing some push ups so that I didn't come out on stage, play one song full tilt and then have arm pump and not be able to move for the next two songs. That's the worst. So I think, oh, God, dude, dude, that with you tie that to an outdoor gig cottonmouth thing. Oh, up in like oh, in, in Vail, Colorado, where there's yeah. no just it's like I can carry tart. I remember so, a couple of gigs when the bass player you know, back in high school and the bass player in my band, he was naturally talented but never ever practiced. Like never okay. touched his bass unless we had a gig. Right. And every single show after the first song, he looked back at me. He's like, I can't play anymore. I can't play yeah, yeah. anymore. You're like, dude. Like, my hand won't work. I'm like, well, dude, You practice. could have stretched. <laughs> you could practice. You could. You know what? You don't have to leave your bass at our rehearsal spot. You can take it home. <laughs> It'll fit in your car. I usually get so <laughs> mad at him. He's like, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, totally. I used to do that with my, with my band. I, I was like, dude, why am I the only one that takes stuff home? Why do you guys lock your guitars up? Don't you have scales to do? So anyway, so yeah, I think you have to find something that works for you. And it depends on your life. I think that people that only get to be around a drum set once every two to three days, warming up is massively important. Mike and I get to be on a drum set every day. It's very, very rare that I go a full 24 hours without touching a drum set mm -hmm. because my life is built around that. Same with yours. Yeah. Um, but somebody that's only playing a, the drum set or even touching sticks once every couple of days, then yes, I think warming up is super, super important. All so. right. You want to do an audio question? Yeah. Let's do KC. Hi, my name's Kate and I love your podcast. I've been catching up on old episodes recently, and in one of the early ones, Mike Johnston mentions the Chad Smith signature snare and maybe was a little down on it since Chad Smith never actually played it. Well, I just bought that snare a few months ago, so I was bummed for about four seconds before I remembered I really love it and I got it secondhand for really cheap. But it got me thinking about signature snares, and I don't think that's something y'all have really gone into on the show. So I'd love to learn a little bit about how an artist and a company decide on what kind of signature equipment to offer, things like that. Thanks. Your show always makes me want to practice. So keep up the great work inspiring all us drummers. Uh, that's our first female audio question. That is awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Kate, you rock. Um, so 
do not be down on the Chad Smith snare. I wasn't down on the snare. I was down on the fact that at the time there were companies that were putting out signature products that that artist was not playing. They were putting out cheaper products and using their name to sell it. I get the business behind it, but it bums me out when we as consumers are going, I love this set of hi-hats so much on this album and then that person says okay well these are my signature hi-hats and you get them and it's like but you didn't play these hi-hats on that album like yeah. you don't you don't even play these these are like 85 dollars hi-hats so that snare that pearl makes is a killer snare for yeah, the price awesome that's an awesome drum i mean it, it kind of can't go wrong with a steel a well-made steel snare i did ask chad early on at modern drummer when i when i first met him like tell me what snare did you use on blood sugar sex magic because that to me is like the best drum sound one mm-hmm. of the best drum sounds i've ever heard he said he used two drums a five by 14 black beauty and a six and a half by 14 black beauty on the entire record so that's what he used there you go. but he's a pearl artist obviously right <laughs> they but i mean i get it they wanted to mix i mean i don't think it's a bad idea you know if if i was a super famous drummer and i wanted to have something that that would inspire young drummers to buy drums then you know though that that drum came out when there was no social media there was no accountability for every minute can you imagine social media with tommy lee in the 80s kidding me (laughs) we wouldn't even have a drum industry game over like so so i totally get it i can tell you right now based off of (laughs) tommy don't call me man (laughs) huge fan um so I can tell you based off of what I went through designing my signature ride symbol with Minel, what the process is like. Generally, you're hoping that everything you want sound-wise is made by the company that you've signed with. So with Minel, I had all my symbols. I was loving them. And this was a time where I was starting for the first time in my life to find my own sound rather than just playing expensive gear. It was like, well, okay, now I have access to all the gear. What do I actually like? So what happened with Minel was they had a symbol that Benny was playing before his signature symbol. Chris Coleman was playing it. I was playing it. It was called the 20-inch uh, Extra Dry Ride. Right. We all played that yeah. ride. I asked my rep at Minel, can you please go through them and send me the five washiest ones you can find? I'll keep the washiest one, I think, and I'll send four back. He did that. None of them were washy enough. That word got back to Minel headquarters in Germany. And then the people that are in charge of making new gear said, what are you looking for? And that's how the process started. Now, this still wasn't meant to be a signature product of any way. They just said, we, we want you as an artist to be happy. So we started designing it. We eventually found the symbol that I fell in love with. I played it for a while. It was um, definitely a prototype. And then the YouTube community wrote Minel so many times that then Minel came to me and said, okay, we actually need to put this into production. Would you be comfortable with this being your signature ride symbol? Mm. The opposite just happened with my hi-hats. I had them make me some 15-inch hi-hats. I'm still using them today. If I was going to put them out as a product, I would call them the butter hats. Minel came to me and said, okay, we're getting a lot of press or people are, I'm sorry, a lot of questions about these. Would you like these to be your signature hi-hats? And I said, no, I don't trust myself that I'll be playing 15-inch hi-hats one year from now. I'm not settled yet. They're the best 15-inch hi-hats that I've ever played, but I'm still wishy-washy on my hi-hats, so no, I'm not ready to commit to those. So now they're just, I think they're just called the 15-inch jazz hats. Yeah. So so that's the process. Hope that helps, Casey. It seems like there's there's been less of a trend for signature products than in the past. I think think some companies have seen 
seen that be very good and also in the opposite side they've seen some things just not sell like why would a rock drummer buy a roy haynes signature drum even though that might be the perfect drum for you the thing is if the signature product is not going to reach a wide amount of people there's honestly no reason to make it other than to satisfy the whims of the artist but it's going to be a loss for the company and i think that's why the transition ride is sold so well is it's a great general ride symbol but it's not this thing, you know, um, Derek Roddy has, from what I'm told, that's the most expensive symbol for Meinl to make because of how much metal is contained in that symbol. Mm. But how many people want that? It's like there's obviously going to be the crew of Derek Roddy obsessed fans and just people in that genre that love that symbol. But that genre is small compared to, say, pop, yeah. where you could cover everybody. So it, I think right now, uh, and also the other thing is, Everybody wants to be their own artist. There's a reason my signature is on the bottom of my symbol, and we don't call it the Mike Johnston ride symbol. It's called the transition ride. Nobody wants to play the Mike Johnston symbol. They want to play the transition ride. They want they, they they're their own artist. They don't want to be playing somebody else's stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's it's a process. But most companies, in the end, the the reason these things come about, um, Kate, is most companies just want their artists to be happy and they want them to love their gear. So. Uh, whether it's them playing prototypes or one-offs or them playing or something that turns into a production model. Well, that's it. We are out of time for listener questions, so thank you all. Uh, we still have a Boom. few more audio questions, and we still have a bazillion paper questions to get through, but you can keep them coming in, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We're going to try to do more than three every episode, but you know, sometimes we just mm-hmm. can't stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> We're pretty good at that. All right, it's time to get to our picks of the week. Uh, and when when you're starting to do your pick of the week, give me some sort of visual cue that I don't skip over our outro groove guy. I want to make sure that I get that. Uh, so my pick of the week this time is something – it's it's not the cheapest thing in the world, but it is probably one of the um, pieces of gear that I can't live without. So – the way that I'm able to get the camera angle that I get from my main angle, if you ever see me on YouTube talking to the camera, if you notice, you can see my whole drum set, but my camera looks like it's right over my ride symbol. If my camera and the tripod were actually right over my ride symbol, it would shake every time I hit my bass drum. It would because it would be on my stage with me or wherever. So I use a jib. So if you don't know what a jib is or a crane, it's just... Um, imagine a, somebody that's making a movie and you see these camera cranes going up and down. So I use one of those, but I'm not using it for the fact that you could use it to make these sweeping crane shots. I'm using it because I can get my tripod four to five feet away from my drum set and then extend that jib out and put my camera right over my uh, crash symbol or by, or my ride symbol, either one, where I could never get a tripod into those places. So I've bought all the cheap cranes and jibs you could ever imagine the 299 ones and the 199 ones and they all eventually strip out and fall apart and they kind of shake on their own there's one called the canova k-o-n-o-v-a canova s700 sun jib this thing is the most well-built crane i've ever seen for under five thousand dollars and i've gone to b&h in new york and i've tested out all of their cranes and i'm telling you I've never seen something this well built and I will I don't ever want to live without this crane. It's as a crane itself as a jib, it's amazing. Like you can get sweeping shots so incredibly smooth. Um 
and there's no flex in the actual jib arm, which is a really hard thing to do. So check it out. It, it is $700, but honestly, for that price, it's that's way underpriced for how amazing this thing is. Uh, they make different lengths. You can get a three-foot one. I use the four-foot one, and they also have a five-foot one. Um, so yeah, six ninety nine. dollars um, my wife would say that's seven hundred dollars. I say it's six ninety nine, and uh, so uh, so yeah, check it out. Canova S seven hundred Sun Jib. What do you got, buddy? Uh, before I get to mine, I have, that brought up a question I've been wanting to ask you. Mm. What would be your suggestion for a general wide angle lens? Like what mm-hmm. what would be the the type? So it it depends on what kind of camera body because the camera body tells me what kind of sensor you have. Whether you have a full frame, a crop sensor, or a micro <clears throat> four, four thirds. What is your camera body? Well, I have a I have the T3i, and we also have okay. a Canon 60D here. Okay, so the 60D and the T3i are both crop sensors, so you have to go pretty wide. So I would probably go with something. I'd probably go with a zoom lens instead of a prime lens. Uh, so if you go with the, um, let's see, is price uh, an option? I mean, a a consideration here? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thought it might be. Not only am um, I thinking about right myself, here. but I'm thinking about our listeners as well. <laughs> okay, so the best lens you could get, it's an f2.8, so that means it's going to be really good for a wide lens. That's actually really good in low-light situations. Um, and I would say go with the um, – who makes this one? I've got it on my camera right now. And this is the 11-20 to 20, uh, Tonica. Uh, I have no idea if I'm pronouncing that right. So um, I'm sorry, 11 to 16. So you could do the 11 to 16 or the 11 to 20, um, and both are f2.8. So that's that's going to be really good in low light. Um, so for the Canon on that one, let's see, 11 to 16 f2.8, you're looking at 400 bucks. Yeah. Honestly, for that wide of – and that would get your entire drum set – and you're not going to have a lot of pin cushioning or fisheye going on because yeah. you have a crop sensor. You put that on a full frame sensor, and it's going to look like a fisheye lens. But on a crop sensor, you'd be fine. So uh, it's the Tonica One Sixteen Pro, eleven to sixteen millimeter, and that's going to be. They're not telling me what the what that would be on a full frame, but um, it, that's pretty wide. You're going to be right. fine. Thank you. There you All go. right. So you my pick it. of the week is the – we actually didn't review the whole lineup of these, but the Roland SPD-1 pads, uh, which are kind of a throwback to the old pads of the 80s where it was just one pad and one one thing. You hit it and it's a hand clap or you scroll through. Oh, yeah. And it's a snare drum. They have one that's, that's mostly snare sounds. That I think they call it electro. They have one that's more percussion sounds that's called perk. Um, the one that I'm suggesting checking out is the one called Wave, W-A-V. It has 12 um, slots for you to upload your own audio files. So you could have 12 oh, wow. full tracks. You know, if you could do a whole set if you have backing tracks, um, just carrying this one little, I don't know how big it is, it's probably f- four-inch square pad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe six-inch square. And I've been using that instead of my SPDSX for these clinics and things when I don't need to actually play it. I just need to start and stop it. Um, mm. It's been great. So it's super easy to use. It's also set up to where you have your you know, your backing track is a, is a WAV file, and you're also going to have a click track WAV file that syncs up with that. So separate, you have your, your audio mix and a click track that starts and stops. You know, If you're in Ableton Live or Pro Tools, you create your click track, and then you create your, your backing track. 
you can put both of those into a folder on this thing and it'll play the click just in your ear and it won't go to the master output automatically. That's kind of awesome. Super cool. And there's a mix knob on the pad where you can you can go more for the mix or more for the click. You can go kind of tweak it that way. Super simple. I think it's it's an awesome little thing. The one downside is there's no there's no screen. So if you don't know what song is in slot number three, right, you're never going to get to just remember it or make your own notes. It's definitely like right. an old school throwback kind of design. But they look cool, and you can even get the you can get a bundle too. You can get uh, all four of them for eight fifty. Um, oh wow! Or you yeah, I just saw a bundle. But I mean, I would say you're looking at probably what are they about two hundred a piece? Yeah, it was like two hundred. I think the the wave one's the most expensive one because it has it, it has the same amount of memory as the SPDSX in it actually. Oh, geez, which is pretty crazy. So I've got like twelve full songs in there with click tracks, and, and it just hit it and it starts it, and it's all good. That's really cool. And yeah, I mean that one brand new is two fifty. The wave one. Yeah. So that's just a great, cool. great playback system. You could also put, you know, whatever your hand claps and stuff if you want to do it for that as well. But I think where it's just where ahead. are you interfacing with this? Is it does it have its own program? Like uh, if you were, yeah. It's how a, do you it's, tell it what to do? No, I mean it's just a simple USB connection, and it opens up like a like a like an SD card, and you just drop the audio in there. Like there's okay. a folder for like preset one, for one and preset for two, two. Yeah. Oh, okay. and there's a folder okay. for cool. the master, and there's a folder for the clicks. So you just drop the files into the perfect folders, and it just works. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, and it can be battery powered, so you don't need to worry about a plug. But I did have the batteries die on me in my clinic the other day, so I was mm-hmm. luckily I had an adapter with me. But that's it. So it's the SPD one, <laughs> SPD one <laughs> wave. It's the red one. That's my pick love it. Love it. Awesome. All right, everybody. Uh, thank you so much. Let's talk about our outro. Thanks. That was a good visual. I appreciate it. Who's who's rocking our outro? All right. Mike Lomax is going to kick us out of here. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So we all set? We get out of here? <laughs> I'm just enjoying Mike's fat shuffle grooves because I listen to the outro guy. Good job, Mike. Everyone have a great day. Thank you guys so much. Please give us some rate ratings. No, I won't even try to say it. It's, it doesn't matter. Thank you for everything. <laughs> Later. All right. See you, everyone. <laughs>